Alright, folks, welcome back to another episode of Mostly Ghostly. Now, as me and Ray sit at our, our cubicle stations with our, 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 our microphones and our cameras set up for the big interview, we look at the ground and we see these massive roots and vines coming through the ground, through the windows, all around us. It's like they have a life of their own, you know what I mean? Um there is life within these plants, you know what I mean? So who's to say? Uh, I remember uh, like a week or so ago, I was uh, pondering to myself. I was saying, man, we've got nature, we have animals, we have all these hybrid type deals. You know, you hear about animals and, and, and humans being mixed and all that stuff. And I thought to myself, has there ever been like a species of, 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 or an entity that was some type of crossover between actual wooded people and, uh, or, or rather wood nature, the forest, you know, and people, you know what I mean? Or animals. And I reached out to Ray and I said, Ray, what do you know about something like this? You know what I mean? And Ray spilled the beans cause he was a genius. You know what I mean? And uh, I popped in. I did a little research myself. And uh, today, that's what we bring forward to y'all. All right? We're talking about plant people, plant animals, hybrids. Um, makes a lot of sense. You know, you could have, if you were to have a, an animal maybe dying, decaying, maybe that, you know, maybe a piece of that essence grows into a tree. You know, you see... Weird stuff like that all the time. You know, if you're walking through the woods, you see a deer or some animal that passed away in the woods. Um, it now becomes, you know, one with the earth again. And, uh, you know, trees and plants and flowers will uh, grow from that spot because the body will be, you know, work double time as fertilizer. Uh, as we've learned from every mafia movie ever made. And, <laughs> And uh, there's no difference when it comes to the animals and the people. But I thought that was a very interesting thing, you know. And, you know, with the Native American culture, how nature is, is, is so important to them. And it's so important in general to all of us, even if we don't understand it. And uh, I contemplated that there had to have been some type of mesh-up uh, where, where, where the people and the nature mixed, you know what I mean? And uh, like I said, today uh, is the day that we're going to roll up into that. So, uh, Ray, how you doing over there? I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm out back. I'm looking. I got the river. I got all the plants, the trees. I mean, when I look straight out, there's only green. I can't see anything else. I've got the wildlife. Once in a while, some deer come up by the river and uh, the geese and the ducks float up and down and yeah, I can see all of nature intermixing, sharing, uh, all being one out there away from human beings. And, yeah, it's easy for me to see where at some point that shared energy could have influenced humans. I know that there is one tribe, I don't remember their name right now, but there is a tribe out west that did believe that uh, plants and humans at one point uh, became one, and that was part of their almost part. That was part of their creation myth, which yeah. is actually common in different parts of the world. 
Um, if you go outside of the Judeo-Christian tradition, you go to different parts of the world and a lot of creation myths, we come out of the earth and the way we do it is through the plants. And for a while, there were hybrids. There were part plant, part humans before we before we fully formed. So it's not that uncommon in myth and legend. And there's nothing to say that it couldn't really have existed or possibly still does. Like you were saying, when we decompose, we go back to the earth and that plant can feed on uh, our bodies. Maybe they pick up some of our essence. If you take a look at Ayurvedic, uh, Vedic medicine, and they believe that all, they're not the only ones, but they're a big one that believes that all plants have an energy they get from the earth and the sun. And that's why they're very big on their medicines uh, being plant-based because they believe that they're all different types of medicine and different types of energies. And it's finding the one that interacts with your energy that will give you health and restore you and keep that balance with nature. And that's all coming from plants. It's true. You know, uh, like Swamp Thing, you got Man Thing, you know what I mean? All these kind of things uh, generate from some type of truth, I feel, or at least uh, the idea of some type of uh, truth, you know what I mean? You could almost venture into the world of uh, the more of a reptilian human crossbreed hybrid, which we hear more often. You know, when they're talking about reptilians, they're mainly speaking on aliens, though. But um, they do, you know, the reptilian, the thing, the part of the, the you know, the, have you ever heard the rumor about how the humans have, like, some reptilian part in their brain? Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Very, very much in the center of it, we do. That's not, that's really not a rumor. That's pretty much uh, science admits to that. We have a reptilian brain within our brain. It's tricky, you know. It, 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 when you hear stuff like that, you do kind of contemplate, like, like, the connection of everything, you know. But let's dive a little deep into the old plant people here today, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, the plant person is a bridge between the plant and animal kingdom. Being able to talk to plants or at least understand them at an emphatic level uh, and people alike. Their wisdom can be profound and alien. Coming as it does from a plant rather than an animal let alone a human point of view. Biologically, he or she is either, uh, is either a motile plant or a person with a lot of plant-like characteristics. They may be able to uh, photosynthesize their own food, drink water from their feet, and even uh, regrow severed limbs. If they lean more towards the animal, they probably still need to eat, which is logically, uh, you know, makes sense. You know, every animal, even plants, need to eat. Um, in real life, it doesn't provide enough energy for a modile lifestyle, but it may uh, be nutri- but it may be nutri- nutrients in dirt rather than cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? To food, uh, <laughs> which would make sense, like every other plant. You know what I mean? And the nutrients in the dirt is uh, what it takes. Now that's interesting with the whole the biology of you know the, the they create their own food. You know what I mean? Um, to tap into that, because if a human could tap into that, this is more warlike tactics, you know, creating your own food, drink water from their feet. They're always walking through them swamps and the big old puddles, big old fat rain like Forrest Gump. 
and they even regrow severed limbs. You know what I mean? So that, you know, that's very snake-like, rec- reptilian-like, uh, plant-like, of course. You know, you cut off a branch on a tree, you chop it down, uh, you come back in a couple of years, it could have grown back. You know what I mean? Bigger. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, can, I can see the, the connection is very easy between the uh, plant regenerating a limb and certain reptiles that regenerate a limb. Like an iguana's tail. You know what I mean? Yep. And uh, they have this, they have the look. You know, the iguanas often you know, camouflage themselves to look like the trees and stuff as well. They can usually claim without irony that they are one with nature, living in the forest and surrounded by life. They might be a mystical dryad, uh, a scientist who fell into a vat of chemicals like in Swamp Thing, um, or a mystical plant god who thinks he did, or a race of modile plants that just happen to look very human by accident, by design or by design. Uh, despite generally having a human shape, they may or may not be able to casually pass for human. This is because they tend to have green or barky skin. Leaves for hair and dress and garden garments and or plant-themed clothing appendages. Interestingly, there is a big disparity between male and female plant people. As the page image shows, perhaps stemming from the classical dryad, plant people tend to be women and very attractive ones, ones at that. Men, on the other hand, take more after trees than humans. Hence the swamp thing look. There's a film called The Guardian, horror film that came out in the 90s that is uh, like a beautiful woman, but she's entwined in the forest and kind of has this type of situation going with her, which is a a William Friedkin uh, film, you know, who's a masterful filmmaker, did The Exorcist and, um, you know, a whole bunch of cool stuff. I don't know why, you know, Killer Joe is more recent. This isn't a movie show. We won't talk about that. I get a I get a laugh. Yeah, the reason I get a laugh is the men are more like trees. Um, that gives where did the saying and it gives whole new meaning to. But where did the saying talk of, come from? Where they say he's got wood or a woody. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> from the it's from the plant people, the male plant people, the trees. Hey, I got wood. They were, they were, we don't see them anymore because they were canceled out for always having erections. I can see that. That's uh, the word. They were standing a little too tall. <laughs> Pitching a tent in the woods. In a story, they are usually a nature hero, or at least have great value in nature. They may also be a hermit or a sage that advises the heroes. In extremes, they may be like Knight Templar of an Echo Terrorist, which is interesting. The Knight Templars are the, uh, I believe, the soldiers that uh, protected the church, right? They fought for the church. They did the church's bidding. Uh, They did, yeah. They can call killer trees on a whim and snare you with vines, all while making their lost forests inescapable. Because, yeah, I mean, this also kind of plays in the, whenever you have a big forest, whether it's, you know, the suicide forest in Japan or even stuff around here, the real big ones, you're always hearing about people disappearing in them. And 
part of the kind of the fun folklore. And I almost imagine that this would go all the way back to some Native American like folklore and culture beliefs that if you go maybe into the forest too late, maybe the the spirits that inhabit um, the forest would get you, uh, the plant people, if, if you will. Well, there's many, there's many cultures, not just Native American, to believe everything has a spirit, and that includes the plants. Yes. So uh, for them to, uh, for the Aboriginal cultures to believe that those are alive and that they have spirit, and if we trespass, we might become vulnerable. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's true. Uh, very evil dead-like. You know what I mean? Snare you in vines. Wrap you up. Um, there's worse things that happen with vines in the Evil Dead film. You know what I mean? You don't want to go there. That's more canceling things. But uh, getting you lost in the forest, uh, that's one of those things. You know, the forest, you get lost in there. Yeah, you could starve and dehydrate and stuff. But in a lot of situations, there's animals in there that you don't want to deal with and even like suburban air you get in there maybe some coyotes or some foxes or something some wild dogs or rabid animals you know the forest can be a very dangerous place no matter if it's in your backyard or in like some national park you know what i mean and uh you know expect them to have feral fertile feet and the effects of deprivation when removed from natural environments for long. They usually function as a fisher king in whatever area they inhabit. Poisoning them or the forest has a re- uh, reciprocal effect. The trope has a number of subtypes relating to specific types and uses of plant-based intelligent creatures. You know what I mean? We're about to pop into some of those creatures in a second. Now, the whole thing, uh, you know, feeding from their feet, you know what I mean, drinking water from their feet. I mean, this is all stuff that they were telling me. So that stuff was all was like super, super soldier type stuff a little bit. What's your take on like that approach to it? You know, I know they're taking the approach of it being a plant and that's how a plant you get a plant in the ground or a pot. That's what it does. It sucks the nutrients out of the soil and the rainwater and stuff like that on it. Um but this, like, water through the feet and uh, some of the other stuff that they kind of brought up is very, very, like, soldier-like, you know what I mean? Like, something that you think would come in handy if you were a soldier or a New Age Knight of the Templar. Well, yeah, you could you could put them out there in the forest and not they wouldn't have to bring food. They wouldn't have to worry about anything. Mm. They, they could just keep functioning. It's inter- The only difference there is that... Um, yeah, the nutrients and all come from the roots or from the feet, and humans ingest it. But we're, we have this, the same stuff. A uh, human that goes too long without sunlight, um, there are diseases because we get vitamins from sun. Uh, we need water. Plants need water. There are nutrients in the soil where we absorb those nutrients through the food of the plants that grow from the soil. Yeah. So we share everything except that we're not rooted at this point. Now, who's to say at one point, um, according to the myths and legends, that who's to say there wasn't some reality and that we w- were originally rooted to the earth, that we were connected in that way and we fed in the same way that uh, the plant or plant people do. It's true. 
It's definitely true. We're going to pop into some of these uh, plant-human entities. They're very interesting. Um, and a little creepy, to tell you the truth. A little creepy. First up, we have Cactus Person, which are plant people based on cacti, usually found in the deserts. You know what I mean? As you would assume. When I think of cacti in desert-type uh, situations, I think of... Um, you know, it's very. there's a picture of what they assume it to be like. It's very superhero-like. Uh, cactus people are the name, as the name implies. Uh, cactus people are typically found in the desert. Unlike other plant people, they are thus rarely associated with the verdant wilderness or green thumb powers. Instead, they're a, they are a stock of inhabitant of fantasy desert lands and are also associated with Wild West or Mexico-inspired settings. Due to the ubiquity of the cacti in American deserts, their harsh environment may also lead them to being depicted as self-reliant, hardened survivors. Their most notable trait besides environmental preferences is the fact that as cacti, they're covered in spines. This provides them with a number of unique options in combat situations, such as by adding dozens of painful pinpricks to any melee attack. Their needles will also factor into defenses. Anybody trying to direct attack, a cactus person will expose themselves to their spiny coat. This may not directly prevent damage to the cactus, but will punish anyone trying to fight them up close. They may even be a spike shooter with the ability to launch their spines as ranged attacks. Uh, Cacti are also known for retaining large quantities of water that travelers can drink to survive the desert. The Thus, cactus people may also have the sort of watery blood that other creatures can drink. This may be something uh, that they offer freely, or else it may drive others to hunt and exploit the cactus people. I wonder if they could poison people. I assume that they'd be able to poison. If they drank from your cactus water and you wanted them to vomitose, then uh, I feel like they'd throw some poison up in that cactus water. Possible. One thing that comes up as far as your spines being deadly um, and using them as a weapon is you take the porcupine. Yeah. That's part of its defensive uh, mechanism, releasing those, releasing those, uh, uh, I forgot what they call them, but releasing those spiny things into yeah. whatever's trying to attack them. And well, usually, something like that. Yeah, you, usually an infection follows. Uh, so it's whether it's poison or just from an untreated wound or maybe bacteria they they carry around on the outside and stuff. They're not that far off from uh, what you just described in the cactus people. They use the same mechanism for defense. And whenever I hear the desert in something like this, I always bring up the question of uh, mirages. You know, people in the desert will think they see things that they don't see. So there's a, it's a possibility that that could play something here or where you just, you see a cactus and because of the heat waves or something, uh, the heat waves and the delusion from uh, exhaustion and dehydration going on in your brain, that you happen to think that this thing's swaying back and forth, like doing the wave at a football game type deal. What's your take on the possibilities of that? That's possible considering the fact that certain cactus, um, they have all different. They come in all different shapes. Um, one I'm thinking of in particular has what looks like arms sticking out the side and going up off a main uh, main shaft. It looks like a person standing there with their arms up. And if you're half out of it and you're uh, getting close to death with the dehydration and the heat and 
the uh, sun beating down, creating mirages, that may look more like a person than just a cactus. That's true. That is true. Next thing up, we have the Mushroom Man, which is a humanoid or at least intelligent being based off of fungi. Fungi are not plants, but fictitious, still treats in two groups as interchangeable, often enough for them to fit here. The Mushroom Man. Um, now that's, you know, Mushroom Man. We, uh, let me see here, a little bit of typical fictional creature resembling a humanoid mushroom, which you could all picture what that would be. Um, the mushroom-like cap at the top, usually either the creature's head or it's a growth on top of the head, uh, may or may not be removable. Uh, some sort of face. Noses are not required, but most variants will at least have eyes and a mouth. The ability to walk usually on small fe- two small feet uh, an alternative is to have it hopping around in its stock. These critters can be good or evil, and they may or may not be sentient. Might work for the big bad uh, for the big bad as plant mooks. If they are competent fighters, expect them to poison or spore-based attacks. They may or may not also live in mushroom houses. Also, do not confuse them with plant people, ever. Um. This would be make a good horror movie, I think, The Mushroom People. I don't want to go on a limb and give somebody a horror movie idea, but uh, Mushroom People, about a gang of kids that go into the forest to have fun, and they find wild mushrooms, and they take these wild mushrooms, and they trip out, and they have to deal with these weird Puckawudgie-type mushroom people. Uh, makes a lot of sense. And after saying that, everybody be on the lookout for somebody else to be making that movie soon. <laughs> Actually, there is a movie out there called Mushroom People. Oh, really? Uh, I think it's about a boat wreck on an island, and the stuff grows. The mushrooms grow on the boat, but then when it when they ingest it, it takes them over, and they're no longer people. They're now these mushroom creatures. That's what's your take on an actual mushroom creature? The logistics of that happening. You think that'd be the, uh, another organism? What live li- maybe living inside of a mushroom and like the mold or something maybe doing something or like a you know I yeah when I whenever I think of these weird things I think of like trying to think of the science of the madness where like like an animal crawls into a mushroom and then it dies and while it's while the heart's beating its last couple beats the body and the the soul's left but the fungi the fungi works its way into the heart to keep it pumping. And now you got a hot pumping in a fungi mixture, and then it you know, and then it slowly forms into some type of deal. And realistically, all you would really need is two of them. Realistically, depending on how it breeds, you might only need one if it was like a self-breeding type thing. You know what I mean? That it just after it just you know at a certain time, you know every every six months or whatever it hatched eggs or whatever the deal was, then it would grow rather quickly. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference that's the weird thing about things like this is like if they don't want you to know that it's there you're not going to know because it's just so the last thing you're thinking about you know what i mean it almost brings it makes you wonder when all these see these mushrooms some of them kill you some of you don't that if you're about to eat a mushroom uh it has time to make itself poisonous or something you know crazy stuff next up we have plant aliens ray you know what i mean Plant aliens, my friend. 
which are aliens that evolved that were created from plants rather than animals. Uh, plant aliens reminds me a lot of the Flatwoods monster a little bit. That kind of got a plant alien vibe to it. You know what I mean? It's quite possible that that, that spawned the idea in my mind of thinking of plant things. Because the, the otherworldly, other weeds, I don't even know what you would call it, but the look of the Flatwoods monster is horrifying. And if you people out there haven't done your research and your homework since last episode where I said, go check out what that thing looks like, I may be a little disappointed in you, but maybe not. We'll see. Uh, but plant aliens. Woo! Aliens are just made of meat, baby. Whether dumb, talkative, or ever singing, plant-based aliens have been a staple of movies, films, and TV for decades. There are even a few based on fungi, which are just as Cecil, uh, despite being very different from plants. They're actually more, uh, much more closely related to animals. But if you've got, uh, got walking, talking mushrooms, why worry about a little thing like that? I agree with that. There might, that might be uh, a little more of an issue on your hands uh, if you go with some shit like that. Well, if, you, if you're looking at the plant aliens, uh, first, you have to look at an excellent way to hide if you were an alien would be in a plant form something that they recognize and people would recognize and don't see as a threat. Mm-hmm. On, a, on another level, if you're looking at, if there's alien life, we assume that it's going to look like it's human. As far as we know, it may be crystalline structure, depending upon the environment it comes from. Um, if, it's inter- if it's from another dimension or if it's from another planet, it could be life there, the higher, so-called higher form of life evolved into a type of plant, a mobile plant. And if you think about it, that would be efficient, considering that from the soil itself, you're getting all the nutrients you need, all you want. And they don't have to go out and forage, and they don't have to go out and cook and feed themselves and do any of that. It would be a very efficient life form, and it would be an efficient one for aliens to be in, whether it's happened as part of evolution because of the planet they came from, or something they chose to adapt to because of the efficiency. I like I like the idea of plant aliens because to me it makes sense on, on multiple levels. Yeah, yeah. I know that um, uh, a friend of the show, Michael Calvin, uh, shot DJ Stand the Man. Uh, when I, when you talk to him about alien life, he always says that he thinks alien life is just. Um, you know the the little the little organisms and the puddles and stuff like that. You know, so he he'd be more of a plant alien type of dude. And who's to say? You know, I mean, if you were to say everybody always says, "Hey, look, these aliens are coming here to help us out," right? Who's to say that a billion years ago they didn't come here and all this plant that gives us plants to give us oxygen is the help that they gave us, and that these these aliens are. These things that we know to be living things, which is these plants, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know. Next up, we have plant mooks, which, forgive me, isn't mooks like a, is that like slang for, uh, for, for is that like a, a slur, or is that just like some goons, some trouble? I don't know. I never looked that one up or bothered with it. I've heard people call that. You know, I've heard people say you mooks or whatever, but I don't know. I don't know if uh, I don't think it's a racial thing or like anything like that. I think it's 
and like racial i thought it was racial towards italians like it was a bad name for like like it, like a heavy like an italian heavy like if you're talking like a like a like a goomba, like a goomba or whatever they say with the uh big muscle like uh hitman the dummy hitman type character i think is what that is you know it's a stereotype of that i believe i believe if i'm wrong i apologize we have no hate in our heart but um these um these plant moves is when when uh plant people fight uh, in film and cinema they're usually like the people that they send out to fight the bad folks you know what i mean one of those weirdo things. Uh, we're not going to go too deep into that because I'm ashamed I even brought it up. It's so lame. So next up, we have Pumpkin Person, which is very weird. Uh, monsters with a jack-o'-lantern for a head, uh, often entirely botanical in nature. Now, Pumpkin Person, uh, they didn't want to say Pumpkin Head, of course, um, the rapper or the horror icon. Now, the you know, jack, jack, jack-o'-lantern, you know, um, Jack uh, Ichabod Crane, the Headless Horseman, has that vibe to it as well. Um, but I think this is more just kind of folklore thing, uh, more like urban legendy, if you will, fairy tale type stuff. Um, while pumpkin persons found ground in Asian works in 1980s and early 1990s, their heads tended to be green instead of orange. This is due to the Japanese pumpkin known there in the West as the Kabasha, being the default pumpkin over there. In Japan, Kabasha equally refers to the green and orange varieties. So that's where the mix-up came from. Nowadays, the Western pumpkin uh, person is fully adopted, and the Japanese Kabasha person doesn't show up anymore. So it's kind of ruled that out, unfortunately. You know, Kabasha persons are easily confused with watermelon persons which are an older yakai that gained new popularity in the 1980s. Before that time, watermelon persons had normal faces, but under influence of Western media, uh, the carved face was adopted. The horror angle from pumpkin persons was easily interrogated with Japanese pre-existing notions of horror. Summer is the season of horror, and watermelons are the summer treat. Not to mention the symbolism of a head as a watermelon when it is smashed into pieces. Nowadays, watermelon persons are rarer than pumpkin persons, but they do show up every so often and have made their way into the West to boot. Um, yeah, the trope is, uh, has relation to scary scarecrows who often have the gourd heads. Stingy Jack, who of course started as a jack o often the plant person when the whole body and likely its origin is floral, subtrope, of the non-human head compare contrast to a skull for a head. The trope does not refer to Billy Corgan <laughs> smashing pumpkins, his band, the smashing pumpkins, but it probably does have some type of tie to it. Cause they're, little, they're a little dark like that. Uh, next up is we have the treants. large humanoid trees often acting as wardens of the nature in the wilderness. The first thing that pops in my head is the trees from the wizard of Oz. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is a very specific type of plant person, usually found in high fantasy worlds, resembling humanoid trees. Um, they're typically very long-lived, uh, if not immortal. You know, they want to be around forever. And if so, they will often be portrayed as very old and wise. You could expect them to be big, too. They'll usually be the same size as giants. And when both races exist in the same setting, these kind of beings will often be incredibly strong or 
have a green thumb that gives them the ability to control regular plans. Uh, Dr. Green Thumb. More often than not, their first and foremost concern will be protecting and caring for their home forest. As a result, uh, indiscriminate logging and exploitation of nature will not be uh, accepted. They will arouse their anger, and they will stomp on you until you're deader than shit. Uh, Their anger is a thing to be feared, my friend. Outside of that, they're typically uninterested in what goes on outside of their forest homes. Although they may not be on good terms or even associated with races that are in harmony with nature, such as elves, fairies, and nature spirits, like we talked about before, uh, or in, in the last episode, I should say. Um, this has kind of like a Pan's Labyrinth vibe to it. For anybody that ever seen that movie, there's like the, I think Pan himself is like a, almost like a, ram mixed with like nature weird thing um but yeah depending on the work they may either be a natural or self-sustaining race regular trees that are awoken or transformed into humanoid creatures or a mixture of the two you know unfortunately in this world we have people that can't get get along with human races what do you think we'd do if we had tree people pop up on the scene ray well, I know that in one of the Lord of, in the original trilogy, in one of the episodes, um, there's a forest around the dark, uh, dark tower where a wizard is, and the, uh, the forest itself and the trees come alive and help, if I remember correctly, help uh, defeat the evil forces. I believe you're right. Yeah, I mean, I've always took, and whenever I see tree people in movies, like it said, they're always, you know, they're smart. They're watchers and protectors of their domain. Um, It's one of those things, you know, the forest, the trees. I almost look at them. They do have, like, there is, like, an alien-like tomb where they oversee and they guide. You know what I mean? Like, they they never make off as important as they are. And as we know, if we were to lose all the trees on the earth, that would be a big problem for us, uh, not only when it comes to uh, finding shade, but uh, a bunch of other reasons as well, like breathing which is an issue, except more so now. Breathing is a bit big issue, you know what I mean? Well, the other thing is that uh, the trees themselves as being a special type of spirit in the tree. Um, they're home for birds, insects. They give us oxygen. They give us shade. Uh, when cut down, we have wood, we have fire. I mean, they're an integral part of survival of the planet, not just mankind. And there's a standing tall and quiet and being one with all of nature. There's a certain wisdom in that. And there's a certain spirit in that tree to be able to uh, convey that wisdom to you. If you can find a way to communicate a bond with the tree. Yeah. I wonder if we planted more trees, if that would help with the COVID thing with the breathing in the lungs. Um. I don't know. I know there's several misconceptions about trees. Most people think that the Amazon is the number one oxygen source. It's actually the northern, what they call the fir belt or the pine trees hmm. that uh, circle uh, like Canada through Russia, et cetera, the biggest oxygen generators there are yeah. on, on the planet. So we have to work at understanding their role in nature. And also there are certain trees, uh, redwood, and certain others that have certain medicinal properties that if we take extracts from them uh, can help us. 
So to help us breathe or to help us fight disease, like many other plants, they have the potential there from the energy that they get from the earth and from their own energy. They balance things off and help us stay healthy. It's dangerous, very dangerous to be killing off a whole bunch of trees and then pumping so much bad shit into the air. It's not a good deal, right? Nope, Nope, not at all. Right, Payway. Let's talk a little bit about plant-animal hybrids now, which are uh, we're stepping out of the humane world and we're going into the the world that might even be a little more humane than humane, if you will, the poor animal life over here. Um, this is one of those things I, you know, that would would go hand in hand with it in old cultures, you, you know, with you know, plant people, plant animals. If you know, one they can't. I feel like without the other, they go hand in hand. So with that being said, in the Middle Ages, travelers uh, brought home tales from all over the globe of wondrous and fantastic plants and beasts. But many of these travelers were just relaying stories that they heard secondhand. And the things they'd actually seen, well, these stories in turn were written about uh, by educated men who never traveled. And they were illustrated by artists who only had hearsay to go by. And it's no wonder they were completely misunderstood. You know what I mean? As we talked about before. The story that you end up getting is all, hey, everything's hand-me-down here, say. And that's kind of where a problem can come into play. But if certain people don't want uh, a part of the story making it to the next person, they cut it out, and it doesn't make it to the next person. You know what I mean? We see that with learnings and religions and all different types of uh, teachings throughout our days. Well, it's also the uh, the habit people have to remember correctly or embellish i went on a uh i flew out to another city one time for management training and they had a class and what they did was they isolated five people and they told one story to someone in the class and it had to do with uh, an electrical short that took the printer out and it also took a water cooler out and the water cooler was leaking yeah and so they put two things related in that it was an electrical short, but unrelated as to these two objects uh, going down. And then they brought someone in, and one by one they would bring someone in, and they'd say, okay, relay the story. Now, by the time it got to the fifth person, there was an electrical fire on the fifth floor that caused the flood that and the flood, you know, washed out, washed away a bunch of stuff, including the printer. And, and it was kind of like, where did that come from? Well, it got modified each time it was told, you know, for the, from a little leak to a flood to a short to a fire to, and it just kept going and going each time it was told. So if you take that, the human nature trying to do that, remember and relay something accurately, and then you take into the fact that, like you just said, there's a lot of editing going on. Um, whoever is in control will edit things, whether it be for political, religious, whatever, they will edit them. I mean, we know you have four accepted Gospels. There were over 40 before the Nicene Council, and they've all been edited down to make one unified uh, way of thinking and way of believing. So, And it's not just in, in Christianity. It's in a lot of areas that they... 
they change. They change things for, for a purpose or they change it because they just cannot remember what it was. They embellish and they try and throw something in there even though it doesn't belong. Right. <coughs> yeah. That's the thing. When things don't belong, you know, you can get tricky. Get tricky. We have uh, the Wack Wack Tree. Uh, W-A-Q. W-A-Q. Tree. Um, very interesting looking tree. We'll pop a little bit real quick. According to the legend, the Wakwak tree, which bears human or animal fruit, grows on an island in the Indian Ocean or China Sea. In some of these stories, the fruit begins as human heads that grow into entire bodies, while in others, the fruit begins as human babies that mature. Either as the fruit grows or when it falls, it cries, Wakwak. There is a possibility that the wakwak tree might have been a reference to coconut trees, which has fruit that kind of looks like a human head. The tree began appearing in Islamic art in the 20th and 13th centuries. Um, invasion of the body snatchers? That's what I think of, and that's horrifying. They got a picture, an artistic, uh, and a, a picture drawn, which is... Uh, you know, a tree, and it's got people hanging by their heads, so it kind of almost looks like they're wearing a hat. They got ones where half of people's just their legs or legs and torso are hanging out of them. Um, this is kind of a crazy deal here, and I want to know what the fuck happens to these people when they fall out of the tree, when they're fully formed and they fall out. Um, you know, it is very invasion of the body snatch of sound and ray. What do you think? Well, yeah, it sounds like people pods. Pod people, uh, people, yeah. Yeah, pod people. The people are going inside the pods and then released. Um, that would be a way for those very people there to tend for the plants that gave them birth and to be able to make sure that the land and the forest is, remains intact. You know, that has an alien. That's alien in itself. You know, I, I've never put aliens and plants together the way I have in this episode. You know what I mean? And it makes a little sense, which is scary. Um, and yeah, invasion of the body snatchers. They, 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 they're, they're, they're the, the copies, uh, you know what I mean? The clones of the people that they're trying to infiltrate grow in a garden. You know, they grow like plants. And I never, that's kind of blown my mind a little bit. Cause I love that film and I never kind of went any further than entertainment, uh, the idea of any type of reality to it. I thought it was just kind of a funky, um, probably pro-earth decision made at the time type situation. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's, that's, that's a very creepy one. You know what I mean? And I mean, well, that, that's where these things would come from if that was the case. You know what I mean? Well, if you, if you were to talk going back to the alien, um, if you're talking a sophisticated technology, which includes biology, uh, the easiest way to integrate with uh in a hidden way so that people didn't know was to modify the uh biology of the tree so that uh the fruit it gave off looked like it was human but it wasn't it was in fact alien again we don't know what it's what its base is on what planet but it could come here and surely uh manipulate the dna of the tree to be able to produce a human looking alien to be able to walk among us Yeah, it's a wild one too. That's another one that if you if you go take a peek at, 
Wak Wak Tree. W A Q W A Q. Well, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed though. I thought the Wak Wak Tree was probably going to generate ducks. You know, quack 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 quack. But uh, no, I I I like the way that one turns out. There, it's got some interesting possibilities. Yeah, maybe the humans uh, they have ducks come out of their uh, their parts, but nobody's looking. We'll see. Next up, we have Jin Menju. Uh, Jin Menju here. There's really, uh, and it looks to be, I'll read the description before I get into the picture. All these pictures are drawn from, you know, different cultures past. Uh, the Jin Menju is a tree similar to the Wak Wak, but the story originates from China and was passed to Japan. According to the legend, the tree produces fruit that has the face of a human child. These faces don't speak, but they smile and laugh all the time. If they laugh too exuberantly, they fall to the ground. The fruit is both sweet and sour, and the seeds inside also resemble human faces. Um, who is the person that sees a laughing head, cracks it open to see what it tastes like? That's the, that's the big question. That's the big question at hand, I think. Um, if I if there was a laughing head on a tree that fell off of a tree, even if that thing stopped laughing, I wouldn't be cracking that thing open to eat out of it. You know what I mean? Uh, I have I have I have this opinion that if you eat something that's a freak of nature, weird thing that is unexplainable, if you digest that into your body, it's very highly possible whatever that is will either turn you into what that is, or will give you something that is going to fuck up your day. And I'm not talking upset stomach. Uh, I'm talking the dirt nap. Like you tell you said, you got a pain in your stomach. You got next thing you know, you got a fucking tree growing out of it. You know what I mean? Like something like that, or something that you just you smell, you smell the forest, and then you uh, then it's all black, and that was it. It was quick. It was a quick showing. Something like that. Like whenever I hear about people do eating weird things like that, that they don't exactly like weird animals they catch or a weird fish. They pull a fish out of the ocean with the human face on it, and they think that's smart to eat. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's too much for me. I don't know. If it's too much like me, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer, unfortunately. I uh, would have a bigger podcast if I was. Uh, but, yeah, I don't get down with any what do you? What's your take on that, Ray? The, the insanity of a, a laughing head that when it laughs too much, it falls out of the tree, and then people think they should eat it. Well, besides cannibalism, because people have eaten, in parts of the world have eaten people. That's true. Um, they may, someone may have, in the culture at the time, seen that as something very special that may have power. This this fa- this laughing face falling out of out of a tree, this magical thing happening, and they could they could have uh, thought that you know if I eat this thing, maybe I'll get some of that power. Maybe I'll. Uh, be one with the forest or the tree or maybe whatever it is that can animate this thing uh, can become part of me and I'll get its power. And I think it was more a power trip, someone trying to pick something up that way than anything else. Do you think that these cultures that are very spiritual and and very one with nature um, that feel that their soul might go back into the tree? You know, I think you think if you kind of, you know, if you were to kind of set your 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 mind and your heart on the fact that when you died, you were going into a tree, 
which a lot of people do believe in stuff like that. That it almost like in the way we talk about, you know, um, you know, our um, where we, you know, manifest these things just from our mind, the human mind uh, manifestation episode there. But like if we were to think it and go into the tree and then at that point, if the essence was in the tree, it would take shape. I mean, you, you often see weird pictures of trees that people will take and it'll, it'll look like an actual face in the bark or something. You know what I mean? Do you think there's something to that, or that's just a complete coincidence? Um, the connection with the spirit of the tree or going into the tree, I think, is something that's taken very seriously in parts of the world. Um, whether it's seeing something in the bark of a tree, the face of a tree, whether that's a spirit, or whether it's a human mind that, try, that creates images and sees what it wants to see, that's a different question. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird one. You know what I mean? Um, I wonder if it's like a, a fl- the flower was so beautiful that it just kind of, they said it, looked, it reminded them of a smiling face, made them feel good, like a smiling face. You know, I wonder if something as simple as that helped kick off, um, kick this off. But uh, as far as like the older, with, with, with older cultures, what's your take on the fact that these were real things back in the day and they're just, they've all been killed out? I assume something like that would be killed out almost. That's kind of creepy when I think of it. I mean, how do you explain that? You know what I mean? And if you want to talk about people of faith, like if people practice a religion or whatever, like how are you going to explain trees with human heads that laugh? Like, <laughs> like it's, we're, we're, you know, theatrics. What do you think? What do you think? How do you think they get to this point? Uh, Maybe they had too many of those mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, I but uh, they, they, they could see the face. They could see the face in the in the fruit. As for the lapping, the sounds of the forest, the winds um, echoing through canyons. There's a ver- birds in the distance. How sound changes. There's a variety of reasons why they might be able to see or hear something. Mm. Uh, but you also are dealing with at a certain time in history. You go back farther. And uh, far enough that you've got people who are very well connected to the earth, the spirits in the earth, they recognize these things. And when they see something, the first thing they think about is that is the spirit of the tree. That is the spirit of the earth. That is the spirit of the forest. So they think spirit first. And again, it might be they're trying to bond with or pick up some of the essence of that spirit in the tree. And uh, as for it, the laughing faces, I don't know, uh, without seeing it, I don't know details about it, but there are possible ways that people have, could have perceived it that way. Yeah. And they would have attached their own spiritual meaning to it and acted what they thought was appropriate afterwards. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Ah. <sighs> I tell you, people coming out of out of out of little pods on trees and faces laughing, laughing themselves right out of the tree. That's very Evil Dead like. Evil Dead Two, very Evil Dead Two like. Um, really crazy stuff. You know what I mean? We're getting to your ducks now, though, Ray. I hope you got your ducks in a row. We have the, or maybe not quite a duck, but from the bird family, uh, the barnacle tree. 
Uh, the legend of the barnacle tree or the goose tree involves two animals and a plant. And it was an attempt to explain several old phenomena that were observed but misunderstood. In the Middle Ages, people saw black and white geese in Ireland and Scotland in the wintertime. But in the spring, the animals disappeared. No one saw them nest or reproduce. And yet, there they were every winter. But yet, they had migrated and nested elsewhere. But people didn't know about that behavior at the time. However, small barnacles were seen clinging to the driftwood that had white shells and black stalks that looked like goose. Some people came to believe that the tree produced the barnacles as fruit, which grew into the geese. Those barnacles are now known as goose barnacles. And the geese are known as barnacle geese. So, yeah, they're weird. They're another one of these pod things where it's a tree and, you know, it's like a bud. Anybody out there that's seen a bud uh, before the, the flower blossoms out of it or whatever. And uh, when they open up, there's no flower, but it's actually these geese that supposedly fall out of it, which is insanity. It's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I, it boggles the mind a little bit. I don't want to go too speculatory, but uh, this one could have just started with somebody waking up one day and there was geese hit by the water near somebody's house and they go, where'd those geese come from? And the only thing you could think of was trees, because let's say the trees had buds that were hanging off of it. Maybe the geese ate the buds so they were all gone and the remnants were on the ground, so maybe they thought that something hatched or something like that. But I don't know. The geese one seems a little too fairy tale for me, and not saying a lot with this episode because this episode has there's some fairy, very fairy tale elements to some of these stories, uh, and there's some really awkwardly weird and interesting elements as well. But uh, as far as the the barnacle tree or the goose tree goes, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Not my favorite, we'll say. Not quite my favorite of the segment. And uh, with that being said, I'm going to move into the, the next and last animal-plant hybrid. That the picture of it makes me think that uh, this might be the new winner of the most unbelievable thing of all time. Now, this is called the vegetable lamb, okay? Um, and if you were wondering, if you were to putting in your head what the most obvious, ridiculous thing in your head for what that would be, you're probably thinking of what it is. So, um, mainly what it is, it looks like a plant, it looks like a, some, 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 you know, uh, leaves at the ground with a stem coming up from the bottom and where you would assume to be like the head of a rose where the rose petals are. Uh, is just a fully formed lamb chilling on the top of this thing. By the belly, it's got four legs, uh, but the belly is connected. So this thing couldn't walk if it wanted to. It's literally just, it's literally like if you put, if you killed, you killed a lamb, put a pike through the chest of it. We're getting graphic, kids. Club your ears. And then you just kind of, Put the put it in the ground so it just went. It was just just up there posted on a stick. It looks like a king, some type of uh, lamb king. Didn't like this lamb and wanted to send out a message. 
but uh, very foolish looking, but we'll get into it. The vegetable lamb of Tartary was a legendary plant that produced an animal native to Central Asia and Europe, given the name uh, Tartarica baromets, or the tartar lamb, the Agnes Scythicus, or the Scythian lamb. The vegetable lamb was described as a plant between 2.5 and 3 feet tall that bore a pod at the end of a stem. The pod eventually opened to reveal a lamb inside. The lamb remained attached to the rest of the plant by its stem, but could eat the vegetation around the plant. As far as the stem reached, once all that was eaten, or if the stem somehow broke, the lamb would die. There's a specimen of the vegetable lamb at the Garden Museum in London. The small picture looks as if it could be a lamb, or an animal's paw, or a long claws, or a part of a plant. Once samples were relayed to naturalists, Uh, In the 17th century, though, it became clear that the lamb was part of a plant and not an animal. The plant was eventually identified as Sympatium baromets, an evergreen fern that produces a hairy cover. I can see that uh, because I've seen plants in pictures that looked really hairy. You know what I mean? Even the pod. I think that the this was heavily influenced on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, at least uh, the Philip Kaufman version. I think it has more of a furry, plant-like vibe to it. Um, And, uh, yeah, this one, you know, I guess it it would appear to be small. The way the picture I first took it is it was like a thick stem, almost tree-like, and that the lamb would be the size of like a regular lamb. But I think what they're going for is that it's this small lamb, like the size of your fist, if you will, like a fetus, like an unborn fetus-type size. Uh, situation. Um, but I don't know, you know, it, it eats, it has what it eats around it. And once it runs out of the food or if the stem breaks, then it dies. I mean, it's got the life of what a fly or bee. They only let, let live, live flies only live for like four days or something like that. And then they die. And uh, that kind of makes you wonder, but with this whole deal, yeah, I don't know about this one. This one, the previous one, weren't really, I think, as good as the others. They kind of were a little bit of a letdown. But uh, what's your take on this lamb, this lamb, vegetable lamb, Ray? I think it was basically um, how do people describe the plant when they saw it? They tried to describe it, and having no ref- no easy reference, they took the closest thing they could get to, and that would be a lamb. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're being descriptive, you're saying, you know, so, well, what does it look like? And they go, uh, but, um, um, a lamb. It's a lamb. And that, once that got out there, then everybody started looking at that and saying, oh, that's the lamb bush. It's true. And that's, that, that's, that's the bush that's the lamb. It gives birth to a lamb. And I think it was very, like the last one I think was the one with the geese simply trying to explain something they didn't understand. Yeah. I think this one is trying to describe something that they couldn't describe. It was kind of a mix of, well, it doesn't look like a plant. What is it? Oh, that looks like a lamb. That's the lamb plant. Yeah. That became the name and the story grew from that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think shapes play a big part. Like when we when we read through these and we see pictures, 
I think that we automatically think that it was these, it was these actual, that it looked exactly like these animals look and it made the noises and movements that they did. But I think that you're right. I think it's just the shape. I think it might have had the body shape of a lamb and it was furry from the, the way the, 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 the fuzz and the, and, 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 you know, the leaves were on it. So it kind of has that fuzzy look to it. So I think that that it, it's kind of equated to a lamb that in that sense and other things might be equated to whatever they were in that sense. You know what I mean? Just by shape, maybe visual. Like when I think of these things, when I think of the head, well, you know, in all fairness, they do say that the thing was laughing, which I don't think we ever touched base on that. What do you, what's your take on those heads laughing? Well, like I, like I mentioned, it can be anything from the, uh, this person sees this weird face and then suddenly they turn around and they hear this noise. Could be a bird in the distance, like a mockingbird, uh, something echoing through the woods and they hear this, what they interpret as laughter. And suddenly it's like, oh, that face is laughing at me. And they're, they're freaking out. And so they're running away and they're calling it, uh, you know, that tree has a laughing head on it because they saw the face and they heard a noise that sounded like laughter. And then the legend grows from there. Mm. No, I'm with you with that. You know what I mean? And it could be, there could be animals inside it. I also wanted to go back to the thing you said about the mushrooms. I mean, we didn't touch base on that a little bit, but like you did. And I think you're dead on with that, where a lot of these cultures kind of would eat, would experiment with different, you know, my, you know, mind altering substances. If they catch a leaf or a mushroom or something that they could uh, attempt. So who's to say that like during a spiritual uh, outing, if you will, uh, leave outer body experience. Uh, they don't see this, you know what I mean? You take, you know, um, I, I hear say, I've heard that if somebody, if you were to take uh, magical mushrooms, um, that you get, there's like a blur effect to it. You know what I mean? There's kind of like a blur effect, uh, where if you were to be looking at a tree, it would have the vibe of it moving, you know what I mean? Or pulsating. Like I, there's, People often say that you're one with nature in a situation like that uh, because nature is not afraid of you and it's willing to let you see its inner uh, spirit and movements and such. You know what I mean? That's a topic for a different discussion, but uh, we can't. if If you're talking about the mushrooms, if you're ingesting and you're having these visions, then this mushroom have, has given you these visions. Yeah. And you start attributing things to the mushroom itself, whether it is a spirit, a form. Um, so that, yeah, for you to suddenly start seeing and saying, oh, that's the spirit of the mushroom or that's the mushroom people guiding me on my, on my uh, journey. Mm-hmm. That's a very real possibility. Right. I'm with that. So I I do think that kind of plays into it. Then you have the old timey folklore vibe of it, and I think there's a lot of different things that kind of play factors in, and, 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 and you know hearsay. Like it started off with just you know a lot of hearsay stuff, um, but I do believe that there could be something up with it. You know what I mean? Uh, that's why I found it so interesting to begin with. The whole idea of like a nature, a plant hybrid with an animal or a person, yeah. From right from the surface, you can go. That's kind of weird, and I don't, that that's impossible. But I think the more you kind of think about what it could be, and you know, a lot of people feel like we're all one vibration. Everything living, humans, the plants, you know, the animals, everything. <clears throat> and if you're going to take that approach to it, 
that I definitely think that there, you know, there's some type of connection out there. Who's to say that this, this, this supposed Sasquatch thing that we, we have people say they see, who's to say that's not like a, a swamp thing type situation. You know what I mean? You take a, you take a look at the swamp thing as we know it, or even, you know, the, um, the man beast there, the, the man thing, uh, that's got a very Sasquatchy vibe to it. The only difference is that they're green. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they look, they're, you would assume that a Sasquatch would be, that the fur would be very dirty. You know, it's very possible that, you know, that it have, it would have growth growing on their fur, you know, on their back, you know, they sleep in the back, you know, sleep on their back or whatever. They get the, the dirt or whatever in their, in their fur, um, it's getting water on, it's getting sunlight. Who's to say that, you know, they don't got, you know, ferns growing on them, you know what I mean? And maybe they like that for, it helps them hide, you know, who's to say that, that, uh, what everybody knows to be a Sasquatch isn't a Swamp Thing type deal, you know what I mean? Wrap your head around that. Boom. Well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, also we don't have good pictures of, and it's at night and there's nothing clear, so... Yeah, it could very well have an element of uh, a plant attached to it. And, yeah, we would know because uh, we don't have any clear pictures as to what's going on and what it looks like. As for the plant things, when you were talking about energy and everything connected, uh, mankind with its cities and its mechanizations and its pollution and being come, becoming obsessed as the uh, being the top predator and the top uh, life form on a planet has distanced itself from the planet and from the spirits of nature and, and Mother Earth. And how do we know that these wiser, older things that at one time we could either communicate with or be part of haven't observed this and they themselves have decided, okay, uh, we'll reveal more, or we'll communicate when they grow up and realize um, how connected we really are. And so we pulled away from Mother Earth, and these plants and these trees have kind of pulled back and said that, okay, uh, when they finally evolved at a point and they realize how connected they are, then we'll communicate again, the entities that in- inhabit the plants and the trees. And it could be a two-way street there. We've distanced ourselves, and they've pulled back, waiting for us to once again realize where we came from and what it's all really about. Yeah. I'm with that. I'm with that for sure. Well, this was another fun episode of Mostly Ghostly. You know what I mean? Very interesting stuff. You know, if you're interested by this, Pop on in and do some uh, do some research for yourself. Maybe we'll have you on for part two to talk a little deeper about these uh, swamp things and plantimals. Um, definitely very interesting stuff. So we thank you all for coming with us on this journey into the wilderness. If you like if you like this show, you should listen to other shows where you're hearing this one. Did you want to say anything in closing to the fine folks out there, Ray? Um, what we don't understand about plants, trees, and that world far exceeds what we think we know about that world. So treat it all with respect. Mother Earth and all of the children, including those that grow out of the ground, 
show some respect because there's more there than we realize in our egos. It's true. Respect for Mother Earth is something we need to uh, return back to. You know, it's uh, it's only right. It's only right. You know, one of those things they say when uh, just try and leave the Earth a little better than when you came, type deal. Make your make your impression as little as possible. Your mark, at least in a at least in that sense, um, leave a big mark of happiness, but leave a small footprint of damage in your wake. That's what we're going for. So uh, that was greatly said by Ray. What I said was nonsense, but that's okay because sometimes that works too. And uh, definitely, you know, look more into this. It's good stuff. And if you're out there in the woods and you see that plant person barreling down on you, I don't know what to tell you, but get the hell out of Dodge. And if, uh, if you happen to see any laughing heads, I guess it's safe to crack them open and uh, eat them. It could be sweet, it could be sour, but it's your choice to devour. You know what I mean? <laughs> and with that being said, we'll catch all y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly. Ghostly.